Does family actually matter in professional sports? The coach is back from vacation, and we're going to hit him with some race talk and some family trauma this week on Iceman and Coach. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Iceman and Coach Sports Show. The coach is back from the Gulf Shores of Alabama, and we have a ton to talk about. Coach, welcome back. How was the trip, my man? Iceman, it was fantastic. But I will tell you this. I came to uh, a realization on this family vacation. So I have two young children, a seven-year-old daughter, two-year-old son. We took our 12-year-old niece along as well. Uh, We've gone on trips before, but this is the first big one in probably like two years. I realized for the first time that these vacations are no longer about me. If I'm going to get any real relaxation, uh, it's going to have to be an adults-only type of trip. And that's okay. But while we may change venues, right, by going down south to a condo on the beach and uh, the atmosphere may be wonderful, you still have to parent and you still have to manage the daily BS that comes with being a parent with two young bickering children. Our two-year-old is just a wild man. The thing we were looking forward to most was going out to eat and enjoying the delicious seafood. And he made that really difficult. I mean, he had he had like a 30 to 40 minute ticking time bomb on him. And that's about how long he lasts before he was going to make shit real uncomfortable for everybody in the restaurant. And so more often than not, it was I would scarf my food down pretty quickly and take him out to the car to the van or go for a walk somewhere to occupy him so the rest of the restaurant could enjoy their meal in peace. So I I don't want to make it sound miserable. We really had a good time. The kids had a blast, which is, like I said, it's more about them now, I've realized, like them enjoying themselves, them having a good time. As a parent, you take pleasure in seeing your children have a good time and enjoy themselves. Getting, You know, got to sit on the beach and enjoy some drinks and uh, just a a wonderful atmosphere in general. But no, I had fun. Happy to be back. Happy to be back here uh, with Iceman and Coach. And I tell you what, man, there's there are a few things more American than you know, racism and family trauma. So I can't wait to get into it. I know. I mean, we're not easing you into this. We're going to get right into it. But I will tell you, I was a little personal aside. One of my biggest fears when I became a parent was that I would have the kid that would make other people's lives uncomfortable in restaurants or whatever. And I have to say, I've been very lucky that James doesn't do that. He's very good when he's out of the house. He can be a terror when he's inside the house. And One of the hacks that we have uncovered, and this is very dependent on your situation, but the grandparent hack is a major life hack if you can get into it because my in-laws love taking care of James. They love being with him and doing things. So when we go on vacation or we go to visit them, we actually can get a reprieve because they love to see him and they love to hang out with him. So it's just a matter of what your situation is like and what you know your grandparent situation is like, your family situation. So not everybody has it the same. And hearing your story and just thinking about it in general, it kind of goes back to the pandemic and thinking about how many people struggled in so many different ways because their family situation was different. A lot of people began working at home. Their kids were at home. I can only imagine what that was like. And I'm not sure we're going to really uncover everything that the pandemic provided in terms of mental health, it's going to be years until they start writing books about these things. And so I'm with you on that, though. And it is tough as an adult and as a parent to be able to get that adult time. And we're hopefully going to be having a little bit of that with some visitation here pretty soon, my man. I think we have some things that we could possibly be sharing in a couple of weeks with our listeners. But you and I hopefully will get to hang out and meet for the first time and our families get together and we'll be able to combine these family dynamics into a real Iceman and Coach show. Yeah, the stars kind of aligned, right? I mean, we've talked a lot about trying to work on getting together at some point here in the near future. And it just so happened that with my wife being in nursing school and her clinical schedule and what seemed initially at the time is sort of uh, an inconvenience based off where she's been sent every other time, it turned into a real positive thing pretty quick. Uh, You know, being sent out to Virginia right in your neck of the woods. Uh, going to get to spend about eight or nine days there. So uh, definitely looking forward to one, seeing the history. I'm really, I'm, I love history. My dad's coming along. He's a big history fan. Uh, but yeah, probably more than anything is uh, getting to meet 
family of the Iceman and getting to meet you and hanging out and having a good time and maybe getting to do a few other things along the way. It is funny and a little bit of a peek behind the curtain for the viewers or listeners, if you are listening and watching on YouTube, is that Coach and I have actually never met in person. And I get asked that a lot whenever people discover the show and they start watching and they ask, man, you guys sound like you've known each other forever. How long have you known each other? And it's like, actually, we've never met before. And that's a little bit of a fact that I think surprises a lot of people. But to me, as a as a personal note and getting a little bit of the emotional platitudes out of the way, it's uh, it's a testament, I think, to how you can make a connection with somebody through however you connect in life. And podcasting sports happens to be that thing, but we've connected on a lot of different levels too. And I'm glad we've been able to kind of showcase that here on the show because I think it's important to extend our humanity out there for the listeners. No, I couldn't agree more and uh, definitely couldn't have said it better myself. It's really cool. This whole thing of podcasting that I got into, you know, I guess we're going close to two years ago. Never could have imagined the relationships that opened the door to as far as the different people I've met and gotten to know. And uh, it's really just kind of broadened my horizons as as a human being, right, as a person. And obviously being able to collaborate with you on this and all the things that we've kind of been uh, coming up with here over the last couple of months. It's, it's just really exciting. And to to have the friendship as like the catalyst of all of it makes it even better. I couldn't agree more. If you have a family vacation story that you want to share with us or anything, don't forget that you can call or text the show. Area code 703-718-6314 is the telephone number to do that. If you're in the U.S., you don't need that one. But if you're international and you're watching, listening, don't forget to hit that country code one before you type in the number. We would love to hear from you, hear some stories. And like I say in the message and all the time on this show, If you give us your take, who knows? We'll try and work it into the show. Last week, you were gone, man. So I went a little old school the way that I started this show way, way back two years ago. I did a little monologue. And you know me. I like to get into some of the meatier topics when you're not around because I seem to have this ability to get into topics that stir the pot a little bit. And one of the things I think that does stir the pot whenever you mention it is anything related to race in this country. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that it's something that is polarizing. It's a hot button issue. And I talked a little bit, pontificated is really a better word for it, about the Glenn Kuyper situation. And he's the broadcaster of the Oakland A's. We've certainly got a lot of mileage out of the Oakland A's and how bad they are. So adding on top of this now, we're just, this is the third show in a row that we're to talk about it, but he had a little bit of a misstep on a broadcast. And you're the one who actually brought it to my attention and sent me the TikTok, even though that's trending all over the place. I'm not going to rehash exactly what happened, but let's just say that he said a word on the broadcast that was not great and he has been suspended indefinitely. I talked about it and made my feelings known. I think I even told you via text how I felt about it, but I wanted to give you the runway to talk about it with our listeners because you weren't here to rebut or even give any type of an opinion on the situation. So the floor is yours to talk talk about that situation. So for me, I think that the context of what he was saying makes it even worse because obviously, I mean, we can, we can hash it out here real quick that, you know, the, before black people were allowed to play baseball in the major leagues, they had their own league, right? And it was commonly referred to as Negro leagues. Well, he didn't call it that. He called it the very the racial slur that we all are familiar with without missing a beat. Like it was the most natural thing he's ever said, which was very disturbing. I just don't like I've never, ever, ever heard someone refer to that league that way ever. Not once. Like it's not like it's an old way that people used to say it and he just slipped or something like I, I have no clue how he ended up at that point. And I mean, in his co-host that was working with him, I mean, that guy just kept rolling too. And I mean, I think you have to in that situation. I don't know what he could have done uh, that would have made things any better at that point in time. But it was so egregious and just, I, I it, it caught me off guard. When I first saw it, I thought it was one of the, I thought it was fake, honestly. That's how ridiculous it was. I thought it had to be fake. And to realize it was absolutely real was just shocking. It, there were so many things about it that, just stood out to me. First of all, his color guy was Dallas Braden, who I believe threw a perfect game for the A's and is kind of a crazy person. And I also noticed that he didn't react. And I thought, how would I react, right? Like We generally tend to condemn a lot of people for something that they do or don't do. But I think it's important that you put yourself in their shoes and what would you have done? I can't tell you 
that I, I, there's no way that I wouldn't have reacted. Like I would have done one of those side look things like, well, what? I, I don't think I would have been able to hold it in no matter what I had been taught. And who knows, maybe Dallas Braden has been taught to not react to something like that because you do kind of want to let it go. But it was the whole thing of how about how he used the hard R, first of all. Like he didn't even, it wasn't casual or or anything like that. And he's like, pointing in front of the camera, talking about the things that they did. And it's it slipped so casually. And it slipped in a casual way that I immediately thought, oh, he's used that word before. And I don't know that for sure. It's all conjecture, of course. He's not going to come out and say that he has. Nobody would. But at the same time, that word is just something that I try to stay away from. Even last week, talking about it, I stayed away from saying the Negro League because that word makes me uncomfortable. I understand that's what the league is called, but it still makes me uncomfortable. And it's like, man, there's just so much of a slippery slope in even trying to use those words and also the negative connotation that any of those words has, right? Like people will say the Negro League, but also forgetting what it meant. It meant that they weren't allowed to play with white players. That part of it is actually the part that's important. And that part of history has finally only started to become assimilated into the collective history of Major League Baseball. But for a long time, it was separate. And so that you're right. All the context around it, what he was talking about, it all matters to me. And I don't think he did it maliciously. Like, I don't think that he was like, all right, I'm going to say this and we're just going to roll with it. I think he probably was horrified that he said it, my main concern was how else has he used this word and where else has he used it? Because there's no way that that was the first time in his life that he said it and just it slipped. No, and he was talking about it so almost passionately as far as the experience that they had, which, it, you know, which makes it obvious that he didn't think he was he, he had no clue or did not believe for a minute that he was saying anything wrong. And so I honestly wonder for a minute if he if this man is so unfamiliar that he really believes that's what it was called. I'd be curious. Not that that justifies it, but I'd wonder if he was so detached from the world that he thought that's what the league was called. And two, even if that's what it was called, man, like you got to know you can't say that. Like you cannot say that ever. The, the, the term that he used is like the term that somebody would use to talk about that like in the deep south somewhere, like in those pockets of the deep south where racism is alive and well, the KKK is probably alive and well, and they would use what he said to describe some football team, high school football team, you know what I'm talking about? Like that's how it sounded to me. And the whole thing was just uncomfortable. And they obviously suspended him. My guess is that because the A's are going out of town, he's probably gonna lose his job. And does it really matter? I mean, yeah, I know he's been calling the games for 20 years, but they are trying to separate themselves from everything Oakland A's at this point. They're trying to move on so they can go get, maybe Brent Musburger will call their games. I think he's calling Raiders games, so why not bring him in? Because, you know, he's not uncomfortable at all. But I think they're just going to move on from it. And, you know, yeah, you know, so that part of it is interesting. But the other thing I wanted to get your opinion about, because I feel a little bit more strongly about this, because, again, I think that, the Glenn Kuyper situation is so, it's crazy because of how he used it and everything you talked about, but I don't think it was malicious. And then there's Bob Huggins, who I know that you generally like guys like this and guys that don't give a crap about the establishment and stuff like that. And when it comes to sports figures, that's fine. But he was on this radio show. I think you probably heard the clip. We're not going to repeat it here. But man, he had a very casual conversation with those guys on that radio station and felt real comfortable saying some things that you just cannot say in 2023, especially if you are the head basketball coach at a major university. And I think that was a little bit different. That felt a little bit more, I don't want again want to say intentional, but man, it sounds like they, the three of them, have had that conversation before. So I was a lot more harsh on Bob Huggins, but I wanted to get your thoughts. Yeah, Bob Huggins knew exactly what he was saying and was perfectly comfortable saying it, which is disturbing in and of itself. Um, there's one thing to not to, to kind of be anti-establishment and, and march to the beat of your own drum. And then there's another to just be downright offensive, sexist, racist, homophobic, ist, whatever you want to call it. Um, and that's what he was, man. And the fact that he's still employed uh, by a, a state institution is absolutely fascinating. Now, we could debate if the state he works in has anything to do with his continued employment. No, I mean, he... You could tell that that's you. You worried, you know. You asked the question about uh, Glenn Kuyper. You know, it, it sounded like a word that he said regularly. That he said before, like this sounds like a phrase that Bob Huggins has uttered numerous times um, in mixed company, and obviously doesn't care. Um, now, the question I have is: Was this a leaked? 
conversation. It was just like on the radio. It was live on air. Yeah, live. So, I mean, that's, again, I guess he just doesn't give a shit. And, and, and I'll say this, whether it's, I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's right at all. But I've always been the type of person. You want to be about it, be about it. Just own it. If that's how you feel, whatever. Now you have to accept the consequences. Don't come out and apologize, though. Like if, if you're about it and you said it and that's what you believe, don't come out and apologize. Just be about it. I, I have, I may not respect you as a person, but I have respect for you. I have respect for the fact that you stand by whatever it is that you believe in, like that you're you're 100% all in on whatever it is. I, I get that, but absolutely unacceptable from a, a head basketball coach at a major university, like you said, especially a state institution. Oh, it's insane. And they said that punishment was enough because they re-signed him. He was going to retire, I think. And they're bringing him back and they're docking him a million dollars pay. And I'm like, so what? He's still making three and a half million dollars. Like, what is that telling everybody? And the weird part is he hasn't ever won a national title. So it tells you everything you need to know about West Virginia basketball in the fact that just because they make the tournament and win a lot, that's good enough for them. Winning a national title doesn't matter to them. And Bob Huggins gets the skirt by. And I guess my larger concern is like, what does this tell you about what these institutions really care about? And it seems like winning matters more than anything. And I, I guess I can't fault them for that because that is the way it's set up. That's the paradigm we have. But man, like when that happens so easily on on radio and then it's so easy that they're like, yeah, we're bringing him back. We're just going to dock and pay. It's like, okay, so morals don't matter for shit. Like nobody cares about this stuff. And I feel like we're just constantly oh, in this place where we can't actually figure out what is good and bad anymore. Like to me, saying what he said so casually in 2023 on a live mic, on a live radio station should be like one strike and you're out. Like that's a no-go. Zero tolerance policy for this stuff. And yet apparently it isn't. But if you and I were to do that in our workplace, we'd be fired. Oh, absolutely. And you look, I feel like we've seen this, right? Just a few times this year in NCAA athletics, look at Alabama basketball. And there's some other examples, right? Texas, their basketball coach, uh, Chris Beard or whatever. I mean, there have been numerous incidents where, now granted he was fired, right? But there have been numerous incidents where coaches are retained in situations. I remember mentioning it maybe in regards to the Alabama situation. You wonder if, you know, college sports are so unique that I think people are way more passionate about their college team than they are about their pro team. And that's because at the the higher levels of the booster world, you know, they have, you know, because of the money they donate, they have access. Maybe they have influence. And that doesn't exist in the professional world. So I think if you feel like you have this coach in the palm of your hand because of your donations and you have access and influence, that you're going to do whatever you can in your power or within your control to keep that person in the role that they're in because it's it benefits you in some way. And I wonder if that has something to do with it in these different situations, which is shocking. And then the, their willingness, and, and I'm sure we'll get to this, their willingness to retain coaches is shocking, especially when you compare it to the NBA, who is going to fire coaches. There are three coaches that made the playoffs and got fired, lost their jobs. Four? I think it's four, four? yes. I mean, that's absolutely ridiculous. And, and we can talk more about that here shortly. But, it, you know, there's a total contrast between worlds, right? Here's what I want to talk about with the NBA. That's a good segue because you famously on this show talked about how they were the most meaningless head coaches in all of professional sports. And the fact that they get fired so easily and yet all these guys seem to rinse and repeat, get you know rehashed in all these different places kind of lends to your theory. But the one I want to start with is the Bucks coach. Now, the last time we recorded together, we talked about Giannis. We played the clip here after they had lost in the first round and Mike Budenholzer got fired. What we found out last week while you were gone is apparently his brother had passed away during that series and he continued to coach through it. And I don't think that that's necessarily reason for him not to get fired because I think he gets fired for the fact that he has Giannis and they've only won one title, which in my mind sounds ridiculous. They only won one title when so many of these franchises. It is, it is but it's the way that it is now. It's like if you don't win multiple titles with a generational talent, you're done. And so he's gone. But I wanted to ask you about the idea of we've always sort of revered the athlete and or the coach for coaching or playing through these types of adversities. I think the most famous story is probably Brett Favre in Monday Night Football after his dad passed away. And now we'll look at where Brett Favre is now. But my point is, is Mike Budenholzer, there's no way that he's probably 100 percent coaching with something like that without knowing what his relationship was with his brother and everything. 
But you hear a lot of these stories. I think Cavaliers coach Tyron Liu talked about how he's lost seven family members since December. And he went to zero of the funerals because the Cavs were in a losing streak and he knew that he had to do that. And do you think that that's an archaic way of looking at this? And I'm, again, I'm not saying that Mike Budenholzer shouldn't have been fired, but man, I feel like when they talk about family in pro sports, family actually doesn't matter. It's winning above all and that's it. Oh man, like uh, there's actually a situation that's that's similar to this in the same vein. I, I won't share it on the show. I'll share it with you off air um, just because it, it it's a little personal. Not Well, I was involved in it, but from a point of telling someone they were an asshole for refusing to miss uh, coaching a game to be with their family. But I think it's absurd. In this day and age, like you have assistant coaches, like if you can't miss a game to go be at a funeral or be with your family, you know, shame on ownership, shame on the front office if they don't allow that type of thing. I don't care how much money you're getting paid. You're still a human being um, who has a family that they love and care about and that family loves and cares about them. You should be there. You should be allowed to be there. Now, if you just simply choose not to be there, that's on you, I guess, uh, and your conscience, and you'll have to handle that someday. If it's the organization that's saying, hey, the expectation is that you're here no matter what, that's sort of absurd, I think. And uh, and really, I mean, you know, the some of the people that would be complaining about it the most are the fans, which I think is preposterous. You know, they, they think that just because they are making making millions of dollars and coaching a team they're a fan of, that, that they owe them to be there all the time or something. And I guess what, fan, if your brother dies, you're probably going to miss the game to be at the funeral. And if you don't, you're a psychopath. So, <laughs> I mean, that's kind of where I stand on it. It's, I guess it, we have evolved sensibilities in a lot of ways. And you could make an argument that our evolved sensibilities have sort of pinned us into a corner in some places because we've become very hypersensitive about certain things. And we don't really know, you and I at least, where like the morality line is on certain things. But it doesn't mean that we don't understand humanity. And that humanity part, which we try and make a part of this show, we try and do that every single week to humanize ourselves because the people that watch this and listen to this who don't know us from any other person they don't know that we don't do this for a living. They don't know that we you know, have regular lives. And I think it's important to do that. But for these professionals, it's so difficult to do that where Mike Budenholzer loses his brother and still coaches through it because in that locker room, that is a sign that, you know, it would be a sign of weakness if he didn't show up. But yet, how could you expect him to be at full capacity doing this? And when you look back at some of the things that happened at the end of that series, when they lost to the Heat, all the timeouts that he didn't call, all the adjustments that he didn't make, how do we know that his mind wasn't in a fog? And how do we know that he's not thinking about those things? As somebody who's lost a parent, it does mess with you. And it doesn't necessarily mess with you every single day. But I know that in the week after that, I was a mess. And I cannot even imagine going to an NBA sideline and trying to win an NBA title. And I, again, I don't think he necessarily didn't deserve to be fired because of it, but there's countless stories where people have not been given that grace to be human. And I talked about that podcast who talked about the hockey player who missed the game because his wife was having their first child and he dogged the guy. Like, are you kidding? Like, then it's not just players, it's coaches. And even in our workplace, man, I don't know if you've, you've had this happen to you, but after my mom died, you know, I took a couple of days. And when I came back, they're like, hey, I hope you're good. Here's your stack of stuff that you had. And everything rolls on. Your life rolls on. And it's a sobering thought that I don't know where our humanity actually counts for anything. It is really sad. Uh, I'll say this much. The place I work for now, um, they would let you take as much time as you needed and pay you for it. I can tell you that. The company I work for prior to where I'm at now, that probably wouldn't have been the case. The expectation would have been similar to what you dealt with. You'll fulfill your obligation basically as a family member to this person and then get back here and do your job. And and I'm sorry, but this day and age, like, you know, I, hey, I'm all about grit and toughness and all, and all that shit. We, we joke about it here, but uh, mental health is a real thing. And like, you got to have time to work through some of that stuff and work through the emotions that come along with it. And I think some companies are coming around and realizing uh, that humanity is important and that caring about the people you work for as as human beings and as people in general is is important because if you do that that person's going to show up for you when it matters you know and, and I think you know if if you invest in a person on a humanitarian level and you care about them genuinely like they're going to care about the little things that matter to you as far as like from a business perspective unfortunately uh, too many companies are driven by uh, the bottom line and the almighty dollar 
And yeah, I get you got to make money to stay in business, but great businesses are built by great people. I think that gets forgotten about sometimes. I mean, how many times have you had to pull a fast one on us and say, hey, look, something came up and I can't really meet today or or this week? And how many times have I ever given you crap about it? Because I know that life matters more than what we're doing here. And I think that that has led to a stronger bond. And when we do record, and that's why the show has legs to it. That's why we're continuing on this journey, because I think that it matters how you treat those people. And I guess I feel for Mike Budenholzer today, because again, he might deserve to get fired because he didn't win enough. And again, the idea that he didn't win enough after winning a title is just somewhat preposterous. But I guess it is what it is in today's world. But I just hope that he has found peace with all of that. And he knows that there are at least two people in the world who care about his humanity. But the NBA was about the coaching carousel. I think it was three coaches, maybe not four. It just feels like four. It seems like they're all just kind of flying all over the place. But your boy, Doc Rivers, did get fired after the 76ers lost to the Boston Celtics the other night. And the Suns coach, Monty Williams, also got fired. And we did talk a little bit about the fact that the Suns brought on Kevin Durant. They were trying to win now. And they're in this weird, precarious place. They were in the NBA Finals two years in a row, but they had two early exits. And Doc Rivers is a coach, I think, and we'll get to that in the stat of the week, a little tease. He has not really been able to win the big one. He's lost a lot of big games. And I want to ask you, if you're an executive, how much time are you giving a coach and how many disappointments are you giving them? Because I think today, long gone, are those times where a coach gets a lot of leeway if he's not winning right away. Uh, It's similar to what we were talking about with business, where everyone's driven by the almighty championship. And I get that's the goal at the end of the day, but it's very similar to what Giannis said. Like, just only one team can win the championship. So you're telling me, like, that everyone else's season's a failure? No way, man. Like, Doc Rivers is a, he's an organization stabilizer. Look what he, I mean, he went in and took the Clippers and cleaned up, cleaned them up, and got him back to relevancy. Went into the Sixers, cleaned him up, brought some stability, and, you know, is able to manage some of these tough personalities and things like that. And I think that that gets overlooked just because they're not winning championships. I, I don't know why people think just by changing the coach that you're automatically going to improve your chances to win a championship. There are very few coaches out there that are worth that much, that are that are going to move the needle that much. And especially in basketball, like I've said, I, I just don't think there are that many guys that are going to come in and make that much of an impact. There's a reason they change these coaches like people change their underwear and they keep the players, right? It's a lot easier just to, okay, get rid of this coach, bring this coach in. because And it's usually player-led. You know, the the change that happened in Phoenix, Kevin Durant had a big part in that happening. These players kind of handpicked their coach, and I guarantee you more often than not, it's who's going to come in here and use me the way I want to be used, or who's going to come in here that I know and have a relationship with that's not going to be breathing down my neck all the time and my life's going to be easier. I guarantee you that's 90% of it. When is the right time to pull the plug on a guy? When you feel like the organization is no longer moving forward. If you feel like it's gotten stagnant, that might be contrarian to kind of what I've been saying, but I think that they're so impatient in the NBA. You know, if you come in and you make the playoffs three years in a row and maybe you advance to the next round, the next round, let's say two years in a row, you lose in the conference finals. You shouldn't get fired for that. I mean, you're in the conference freaking finals. You're going to tell me you got this magic answer, this guy you're going to bring in and next year, he's automatic surefire thing. Wouldn't you say, hey, like, I can retain this coach and I'm guaranteed, I mean, theoretically guaranteed to have a shot to be at least in the conference finals or I fire him and bring in somewhat unknown commodity and assume that's going to be better. I just don't, like, I don't know why people aren't content accepting really good most of the time. (laughs) Like, I, you know, I don't know why they're not willing. It's like, if you told me that like the Colts five out of 10 years, they were going to make it to the AFC championship, but there's no guarantees on a Super Bowl whatever. Like I would take it. I would take it, man. At least you're in the conversation. At least you're putting yourself in position to advance and win a championship. And I don't know. I mean, I get it. It's a lot easier to change the coach, like I said, than change the players. And that's why these coaches bite the bullet most of the time. Uh, They don't make as much as the players. Um, You know, there's not, it's just, it's, it's a lot cleaner to fire the coach and manage one ego as opposed to three, four, five, six, seven that you have on the team. Well, because you're not going to trade the star player. And the Bucs aren't going to trade Giannis. So, of course, they're going to get rid of the coach. I think Doc Rivers is an easier target because of the fact that he's lost so many big games. And like I said, I teased that about the stat of the week later on. But he has been on the losing end of a lot more bigger games and series than he has won. Monty Williams was interesting to me because two years ago when the Suns made it to the final, he was the story. 
He was such a feel-good story, and that franchise had been longing to get back to relevancy. And then last year, getting blown out at home in the clinching game, and then this year, not being able to get it done against the Denver Nuggets team, who is really, really good. They have what should have been the MVP in Nikola Jokic, who, as of the end of the first quarter in Game 1 against the Lakers tonight, had 8 points, 12 rebounds, and 5 assists in the first quarter. So he's doing pretty well for himself. So it's nothing to sneeze at there. And they brought in Kevin Durant midseason. You can't just forge chemistry in the middle of the season. You need to give it some time. And there's a new owner there. He obviously wants to win a championship, so he gets rid of this guy. And to your point, who are they going to bring in that's going to all of a sudden do the job? And this guy has gotten the team to the finals. I just don't really understand where they're going with all of this. And the sad part is, Monty Williams will probably get a job with the 76ers. He's probably going to take over Doc Rivers' job. And for all we know, Doc Rivers could be in Phoenix, right? So that's how recycled the coaches are. And it does kind of lend to your point that there are a lot of coaches in the league that just don't make that much of a difference. And I think the coaches that do make a difference are on the teams that they are on and they have been there for a long time. Like, I'm not sure if you know this, but your boy, Eric Spolstra, seven straight conference finals now. So he's not going anywhere. But I ask you this, think about Marv Levy from the Bills, went to four straight Super Bowls, lost them all. He'd be gone in today's NFL. No, I don't think he would be. I think the NFL is different. I think most more often than not, uh, you make the playoffs in the NFL, you're usually safe. And I think that coaches in the NFL pull more weight. Uh, they have more clout than in the NBA. You, you're not going to have, it's not often that uh, you're going to have the star player get the head coach fired. Maybe Aaron Rodgers got Mike McCarthy fired in Green Bay, possibly. But like, other than that, I mean, can you think of too many where, where like the star player pushed out the head coach. Not really. Jason Garrett yeah. had that job in Dallas for what, a decade and one zero playoff? Yeah, Marvin Lewis and Cincinnati, man. Like that's a fascinating case study because I've always found the dichotomy between those two situations hilarious. Because one franchise is the Cincinnati Bengals, who hadn't been relevant in a long time. So sustained playoff appearances was like winning a Super Bowl for them because what they had had before then was nothing. The other franchise is the Dallas Cowboys, who used to be the darling of the ball, haven't won a Super Bowl in 30 years. Jerry still thinks that they're relevant, but they're a national brand. I just don't understand how Jason Garrett kept that job for 10 seasons with literally nothing to show for it for a brand that should be championship or bust every single year. There are certain franchises in all of sports, the Yankees, teams like that, they're championship or bust. And you do have to start looking at what's not working if you're not at least advancing too close to the championship round. But a lot of the other franchises, they haven't done anything. The Phoenix Suns haven't been relevant for 20 years. And so you get to the conference finals, that should be enough to save your job for more than two seasons. They got to the second round two years in a row. Where else can they go? What else can they do? You get rid of the coach, but the players are the same. Does it really matter? And that's the part I don't really understand about this NBA stuff. And I think, again, your point is super valid. And you got a lot of shit for that take because everybody pointed out all the coaches that actually mattered. Well, guess what? They're the ones who've been with their team for 14 years. And there's a reason for that because the currency that they provide from all the winning that they've done saves them. But if you're Doc Rivers and you had three years to turn around the Sixers and you didn't get past the second round, you're out. But even like Phil Jackson, right? Probably renowned as the best NBA coach ever, I would assume. He had Michael Jordan, he had Kobe Bryant and Shaq, you know. I mean, he had the best player in the game at the time when he was coaching. He had Michael when he was with the Bulls and a great supporting cast. He had Kobe when he was with the Lakers and a great supporting cast. I'm not going to say you could have automatically plugged whoever else in there, uh, but the Bulls did pretty well even prior to Phil's arrival. I mean, they were, they were up and coming when Michael was younger. Doug Collins, I mean... And, and, you know, yeah, I mean, Phil comes in right when they're hitting their stride. I, I just think that I think a, more often than not in the NBA, coaches ride the coattails of the stars. And it's probably more of a them placating the stars to stay employed than anything else. Uh, I don't I mean, what they call Phil was the Zen master, right? I think his job was just to manage the personalities, you know, keep everybody happy. And that's not really dissimilar from what a lot of coaches do these days. Steve Kerr makes his money because he keeps that core together. He keeps them happy. So maybe your point is valid. If you disagree with Coach, don't forget to call or text the show. The number is scrolling on the bottom of the screen and is in the show notes. We would love to hear some opinions on this because Coach does not believe that NBA coaches are as meaningful as a lot of people will make them out to be. I think NHL coaches might actually be less meaningful because, man, that 
the Dallas Stars coach has been the head coach of like seven teams. So he's been around. NBA, NHL coaching, very similar dynamics for sure. No doubt about it. 100%. So let's move on to the NFL because the NFL did something while you were gone that I think is just the most preposterous thing. But again, in the in striving to have 365 days of NFL football on our minds, they make a big deal out of everything. So if you thought the draft was ridiculous in how much it's covered, last week it was about the schedule reveal. And I know that a lot of the teams had fun on social media. That part of it is fun. But what I don't like and what makes me, what makes me laugh is how the schedule comes out and all of a sudden you got all these people trying to project all these matchups as if we actually know which teams are going to be good. Let me just tell everybody watching and listening, we won't know until about week 14 who's actually good. We can pencil a lot, a few teams in for they're probably going to be good. A lot of it we just don't know. So the schedule came out and a couple things stood out to me. First thing I want to, I want to mention, do you know who is starting off the season in 2023? I do not. It is your Detroit Lions visiting the defending Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs, the first game of the season. Man Campbell's going to bite the face off Patrick Mahomes, and the Lions are going to start the season 1-0 against the defending champs. Fuck yes, man. Like, that makes me so happy. I love it. I can't wait. I I just, I've never, there's not been anything to be excited about about the Detroit Lions in a long time. Like I said, man, you see right here, man, I got it there under the coach, the granddaddy of grit. I love it. Give me freaking Motor City Dan Campbell and the boys. I cannot wait. I'm so jacked for that. I'm, it's already going to be the pick of the week. I guarantee it. I think he's going to, I think they're going to be three primetime games. I think the Lions are actually going to be on primetime. They're that team. Every year, there's always a team that has a lot of excitement or some buzz coming in. The Broncos were that team last year. And my God, that was awful. But I think the Lions should be a little bit more interesting. But the Lions are a fascinating look because they're playing a second place schedule this time around. They had a great end of their season. They finished with a winning record for the first time. And I can't even remember probably the last time they made the playoffs 2015 or 16. Dave could tell you on political football. So check them out. But they're going to play harder competition. They're not going to surprise anybody. And also they're going to be in a lot of primetime games. That pressure, I think, does matter. They're going to have a little bit of a target on their back. I think we're going to get a good sense of where they are when they play the Chiefs. It's week one. Anything can happen. But boy, if you really want to find out what your team is made of, what kind of grit that they have, put them out there against Mahomes and the Chiefs right after winning a Super Bowl. I think you're going to find out a little bit about them, but it will be interesting to see how the Lions go the rest of the season. The, the crazy part is the overreaction that will come from that game, one way or the other. If the Lions win, you're going to have people putting them in the Super Bowl. If they lose, you're going to have people coming out saying, oh, they're overrated. They're just the same old terrible Lions. That's one thing that is, I won't say that that game is meaningless because, I mean, the NFL, like every game still counts when it comes down to it because there is such a fine line between making the playoffs and not. I don't think that that game is going to really tell you a whole lot about where either team's going to be three months later. I don't disagree with you at all. I just think it's great that we are going to come on the week after that game and we're going to say Lions to the Super Bowl, baby. Lions to the moon. That's it. We're adopting the Lions as our team. Man Campbell is our guy. But we'll wait to see on that. But a couple other things about the schedule that I want to ask you about. They changed it up a little bit. In years past, most recently as last year, obviously, every team was guaranteed a primetime game. And I guess guaranteeing a team a primetime game means they get a little bit of that spotlight. But as you and I both know, when the schedule is made, we don't know who's going to be good or bad. And so some of these primetime matches, specifically Thursday night football, your jam, they're not very good. And they don't lend to a lot of people wanting to watch them. After a while, we don't even tune into them. We just kind of look at the highlights on YouTube and call it a day. Speak for yourself. Hey, but but now we're not going to get that because not every team was guaranteed a primetime slot. And right now the Houston Texans do not have a primetime slot. I heard an argument made about the fact that every team having a primetime game was a good thing because of the fact that there was uncertainty. We didn't know who was going to be good. And so some of these matchups that may not look great on paper as of the schedule reveal could actually be really good by the time we get there. And so I wanted to hear your thoughts on that. Also coupled with the fact that instead of just one Thursday night game a year, there is no limit on how many Thursday night games a team can have. I think that sucks for whichever team gets more Thursday night football because you have that really, really short turnaround. And in a game in which you need every hour to recover from the previous week, that's a major disadvantage for whoever has that. So for one, I do think it sucks that 
they're going to have to play multiple Thursday night games. That is difficult. I'll, I'll, I will attest to that. I, I don't know how, how much they try to make a difference. Like, you know, do they say that, you know, you can only play the following Thursday if you play in the noon game the prior week to give you the maximum amount of rest, I guess. But anyhow, primetime games. I think this is great. Put the best games or what you believe are going to be the best games in prime time. I, I don't think, you know, this is, you know, saying every team gets a prime time games, a little participation trophy-esque to me. I want to see the best games. Uh, those are the games that have the most eyes on them. Those are, that's sort of appointment viewing and it, it needs to be the best teams. And I understand that things could change. And like you mentioned, you know, that we, everybody's sitting there making their predictions now and there's going to be some teams that are highly touted that are going to lay an egg and there's going to be others that are flying under the radar that are going to have a great year. But um, do your best NFL to put the best games in prime time. 100% on board with that. I totally agree because the whole point of a primetime game is you know that you're going to get a maximum audience. That's why you put the matchup there. I mean, that's why time slots matter for any television program, right? Historically, when there are certain time slots, like on a Friday night, that was like a death sentence for a show. If you got moved to Friday nights, nobody was watching TV then. So you wanted to have those primetime slots. And for the NFL, especially now with Red Zone, where everybody catches all the games pretty much all at the same time during the day, you want to make sure that you're keeping that audience in the prime time. And I know that there have been Sunday night matchups or Thursday night matchups or Monday night matchups where I won't tune in regardless sometimes because I'm tired of football. But if the matchup is good, I'm more likely to stick around, especially on a Sunday night, because that high from one o'clock all the way through to the Sunday game is great. But if the matchup stinks... I'm probably not going to tune in. I can just wait and get the highlights and we might not even talk about it on the show type of a thing. But if they are striving to get what they feel is the best matchups all season long on primetime, that benefits them, it benefits us. And then late in the season, they get to flex these games. And I know that they try and do that as often as possible late in the season, but there's so much flexibility to be able to get the best matchups and make sure that the playoff scenarios are all playing themselves out. And so I think the lack of this participation trophy is a great thing because it's getting into everything in sports. I mean, the MLB All-Star Game, you have to have a representative from every team, even if they're hitting 210, because, well, shit, we need to have an Oakland A on the team when maybe none of them are actually worthy of making the All-Star team. I'm I'm so with you on this. Screw participation trophies. <laughs> That's right, man. You talk about uh, circling back to tie in a conversation from earlier about you know, caring about the, the human element. The San Francisco 49ers got scheduled to play on Thanksgiving Day and Christmas Day both. I don't know if that's ever happened, that a team has had to play on both days. You talk about not giving a shit about a person and their personal family life or whatever. Uh, that sucks. That's a tough one because they have traditionally played games on, well, at least on Thanksgiving and Christmas the last decade or so. So it's in play that something like that could happen. But from a family perspective, I hear what you're saying because it sucks to have both of them. And maybe the NFL should be going back to think about it. For all we know, the 49ers may not be any good, so they might get flexed out of the Christmas Day games and another team will actually get put there. But another part of it too, man, is they're having a Black Friday game. The NFL is encroaching on our entire week. And I do love me some football, but I am getting a little pissed off that they're trying to take real estate of like four out of seven days now. Like, it's got to end at some point. I'm not going to be watching random Wednesday night football. Like, they're going to lose me on a lot of these games if they keep spreading these games out. And then the other rumor is that in 2024, you're going to have to have Peacock to watch one of the playoff games. Like, come on, make that a regular season game that I can choose to to watch and not a playoff game that actually friggin' matters. Yeah, well, that's what they're doing it is they want to for you. Know, they want to make sure it's a game you want to watch. And so you sign up. Notre Dame does it too. They play one game a year. On Peacock, it's I have Peacock, uh, so I'm not worried about it. But I mean, it's just what it's one of my nine streaming services or whatever you know that I'm signed up for. I mean, I get why they're doing it or whatever. And, and unfortunately, a lot of things are probably going to trend that direction. I'm surprised the NFL hasn't kind of come out with their own like viewing app of some kind. I mean, I know they have the NFL Network, but I mean, like, I don't know, is there an NFL Network app? on like smart TVs and stuff. Is there? Yeah, maybe. Oh, yeah, there definitely is. I just want to point out to all the listeners and all the viewers, this is a streaming service that you have for free. All you got to do is hit that subscribe button. And right. You can listen to us for free 
every single day if you want to. We will not make an exclusive content that you have to get some app that nobody would ever buy. I also have Peacock, but for WWE stuff. So I'm covered in that regard, but it's the principle of the thing. Sure, and sure. I'm getting on my soapbox as an old person, the newspaper that we are here. I, I just hate it. I hate the fact that they're taking something that I used to get and they're making it on a platform that I don't necessarily want to have. Now, hold on. Hold on, old man. Wait. Hold on. Yes, okay. hold on. Go ahead. Go ahead. So you have to remember, when we grew up, you were lucky to be able to watch like one game uh, on Sunday, one or two games. You had like the game on Fox and then whatever was on CBS, and that was it. Like, you, you know, now we can watch any game. Uh, we have the ability to watch basically any game. We have the Red Zone channel, all these things. And now you're mad that they're going to take one game, one game, and put it behind a paywall. It's getting to the point where it's going to be like it was when we were kids and we're not going to have the access. So they've put the drug in my vein and now they're taking it away from me. And I don't like that, man. I just don't. Now, if it's a Kirk Cousins Vikings game in primetime, oh, okay, fine. I know he's <laughs> going to lose. It's fine. So I don't necessarily have to watch it. But it's the principle of the thing because I ask you, where will the line be drawn? At what point will all of these games be a la carte? We have to pay for every single one of them. And now it's becoming something that is not free entertainment. What do we do then? Because it's it's heading that direction. And how much are you willing to pay, not for a Klondike bar, but for your NFL football? Like, what is the line for a lot of people? I can guarantee that your dad would be so out on this. No, he definitely would be, I think. Um, what's the line? I don't know. I mean, things are continually evolving with uh, streaming and all that stuff. You know, there have already been a couple instances where you have different streaming apps that have bundled themselves together. I think Hulu and uh, maybe Hulu's got to deal with like ESPN and Disney or something. You get all three in a bundle. I think you might see more stuff like that. But as far as games behind a paywall a la carte, uh, it may come. I don't know how soon or how quickly. I, I think you might still see the standard, like the Fox, you know, the Fox game, CBS game, like I said, the Monday night game, the Sunday night game. Those ones will always probably be available. But even they're still not free necessarily. I mean, anymore, you still have to have some sort of TV provider in most cases to get even those channels. I mean, I don't know how the rabbit ears work these days. It's been a long time since I've tried to put up an antenna. But, you know, I imagine that with technology, it's, it makes it harder and harder to, to do that sort of thing. Little tip for those of you who are looking to cut the cord. If you can get a good signal with your antenna, the signal and the picture quality is chef's kiss, let me tell you. We did that for a few years. We're able to get NBC, and man, the Sunday Night Football game has never looked that good. So just a little bit of a pro tip there. I also want to point out my hypocrisy. Back in the NCAA tournament days, I did say live on this show that if they made the NCAA tournament pay-per-view, I would purchase it. So I am just dripping with hypocrisy here <laughs> over this one Peacock game. I'm going to cop to it, but damn it, it's the principle of the thing. And I think it's the fact that the NFL is just so powerful that they can do whatever the hell that they want. And I have no power to stop them. And, and like, I'm all about you're anti them moving into other days of the week, man. I'm all about it. Uh, give me more football. Now, I would like to see them stay off of Friday nights. I just think that one high school football. You, know, you can watch it on TV in some cases now, but uh, I, I think this Friday night's always been high school football's night. I was kind of pissed when the Big Ten, the Big Ten moved some games to Friday nights at one point. I don't know if they're still doing it for sure, but I think probably some of the other lesser leagues play on Fridays once in a while. I'm not crazy about that, but, you know, I don't mind me some midweek. We a little midweek maction once in a while, you know, in college football. I dig me some maction. Fucking knew you were going to say the <laughs> word maction. Like, Jesus. Oh, I knew that was coming. Let's move on to something a little bit more fun. Let's move on to South Florida in Miami. But I want to say something out front here. If you've not been listening or watching the show for the entirety of it, when Coach and I started, we realized something about us. We are cursed. Anytime that this show backs a team, that team, by extension, becomes cursed. And in the NHL playoffs, we have damned three separate franchises to losing by backing them either with a pick of the week or just saying that we actually like them. And we are now at the point where we have four teams left in the NHL playoffs. And one of those teams we really, really, really want to root for. I'm just not sure if we should say it live on here because we might damn them to lose the next series. But the Florida Panthers, scrappy, gritty eight seed, and they are in the conference finals against the team, the Carolina Hurricane. I am wearing a hat, a Hartford Whalers hat right now of their old digs. 
And I honestly want the Panthers to win so bad, but I just know that if if we try to will it into existence, we're going to get the damn Hurricanes in the Stanley Cup final. Well, there's fewer things in sports that could happen that would be more boring than the Carolina Panthers making it to the Stanley Cup final. Uh, I, I could stand if they were the only way I'd get behind them is if they were going to wear the Hartford Whalers uniforms for the rest of the playoffs, which won't happen. But it's just a boring franchise. I mean, let's look at these playoffs, uh, even including our beloved Florida Panthers. Do these cities say hockey to you? Miami, Florida, Raleigh, North Carolina, Dallas, Texas, and Las Vegas, Nevada. Do any of those cities scream hockey to you? No, they do not. Which brings me to my next point. I got a bone to pick with an entire fucking country, Canada, okay? There's like three things in this world that you're supposed to be good at. Hockey is at the top of that fucking list, just ahead of maple syrup, flannel, and denim, okay? And it absolutely drives me crazy, okay, that you guys couldn't figure out how to get one of your fucking teams into the conference finals at all. Not a single one of them. Every single one of them underachieved. This is what you do. It's absolutely preposterous. I cannot believe it. And so just put Canada on my shit list right now. By the way, you did the thing that I thought I was going to do. It is the Carolina Hurricanes, not the Carolina Panthers. So congrats to you. But the Carolina Panthers are also a boring franchise. So we'll just lump them all into the same thing. They could be a hockey team. I don't even know. I don't care. Bryce Young looks like he's about four feet tall, standing behind the offensive line at practice. So we probably won't be seeing anything with them. But here's the thing about Canada that's so strange is you're right. They are so passionate and all the best players honestly, in the entire NHL, mostly come from Canada. It's 30 years now since they've won a Stanley Cup. The Patrick Waugh-led Canadiens of 1993 over Wayne Gretzky's LA Kings, they were the last Canadian team to win a Stanley Cup final. That's a really long time for a country whose sport is hockey. And it's it's kind of saddening to me a little bit. Like, I feel some pity because it was heartbreaking to watch the the Maple Leafs fans after losing game three in overtime. I mean, the only fans I know in the entire world who still show up outside of their arena in the streets when they're on the road are Canadian hockey fans. And they were left just so downtrodden. And it's, it's amazing because I was trying to explain this to my wife about the Maple Leafs. She was like, why are they so sad? And I said, it has been almost 70 years since they've won a Stanley Cup. And that is a proud franchise. They show up every single year. They've been through so much crap and they have nothing to show for it. And that goes for any of the other franchises. Ottawa Senators are a little bit younger, so maybe they get a pass. Winnipeg Jets just came back. But the Edmonton Oilers, with all that history with Wayne Gretzky and Marc Messier. That's when it ended. Yeah, but they went to one cup final. I think it was in 06 or something like that. And they haven't won anything since then. And it's it's a lot of sadness, but I'm kind of with you, man. If you're good at something, fucking be good at it. Yeah, I mean, if your most successful franchise in the last two decades is the Raptors. I mean, and that's only one championship we're talking about. Kawhi Leonard, the greatest Canadian fucking professional sports player. He's not even Canadian. Oh, that's good. That's good. We will be watching the rest of the playoffs, though. Coach, I don't know about you. I've had a great time texting with you about the hockey playoffs because they have been interesting. And I just feel like they're elevated. Like the crowds are elevated. I'm not going to say that Dallas and Carolina fans aren't bringing it because they're just like the listeners of this show. Small group, very passionate. So you get a lot of passionate fans in these hockey arenas. And when these goal horns go off and the crowd just erupts, Honestly, I get goosebumps every single time because it is amazing. And I don't see a crowd elevate quite like that in any other sport in the playoffs. I think baseball is kind of up there as well. The NBA can be pretty good, but usually those crowds are pretty good all year. But man, there's something about when you flip the switch to the playoffs, hockey crowds bring it like no other, no matter whether the team is from a hockey town or not. They just bring it. And I do love that part of it. Well, it's kind of this perfect combination of the things that we like best about different sports. It brings like the physicality of like football. You sort of have the pace a little faster, but sort of the pace of basketball. And then, you know, the scoring aspect is similar, like maybe soccer a little bit, where every goal really fucking matters and is really important. So when you add this this fast-paced game with this extreme physicality, 
and just constant action where everyone's literally hanging on every touch of the puck because, well, I mean, literally a goal could happen almost almost any time. And, and when it does, it could be so impactful. That's what makes it, I mean, literally you're on the, at this time of year when it really matters uh, in the playoffs, you're literally on the edge of your seat the entire time and you watch these games and the fans are on their feet the entire time and just engaged in what's happening. And you just hear these oohs and ahs because they're just literally hanging on by a thread gritting their teeth every time the puck gets in their own end, hoping it stays out of the net, ready to explode with excitement when it's in the, when, when, you know, they're on offense and uh, have an opportunity to score. And I don't know if there's any other sport that kind of builds anticipation like that. It's almost like the feeling you get in the last 30 seconds of a tied basketball game in the NCAA tournament, except for it lasts for two hours. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, you're really right there at the cusp of, a, of just extreme excitement or disappointment the entire time. Yeah, you are on the edge of your seat. And I find myself being like, oh, especially because there's so many close calls and the puck is just an inch away from being in and out. It's very, very exciting. We're bumping up toward the end of the show. So we're going to save the Miami Heat talk and the NBA draft lottery talk to next week because I do want to get into some of the ins and outs of how all that works, more specifically about tanking to try and be better and what you should do in this sense. But for right now, we're going to move on to OTW. OTW of the week where Coach and I like to put a little bit of a personal spin on it and we will start with the Iceman stat of the week. Coach, I know that there is nothing that gets you more firm than the stat of the week. Are you ready, sir? Consider me at attention. Exactly what I was hoping you would say. So your boy, Doc Rivers, fourth all time in playoff wins. However, a stat for him, he has lost 10 game sevens as an NBA head coach. So clearly when the series is on the line, he has not done a lot of good work. 10 losses is a lot. That means he has lost a lot of series. And I think he is also the coach who's blown like the most 3-1 leads in any series. So even though he has a lot of wins, also a lot of really crucial losses. On the other side of that, though, the nondescript Dallas Stars, their coach, Peter DeBoer, he is 7-0 all-time in Game 7s as an NHL head coach. So the exact opposite dichotomy for each of these coaches. Wow. I mean, that's, I think it's more impressive. The 7-0 and is more impressive than how disappointing Doc Rivers' uh, situation is for sure, man. That's that's awesome. Nice little uh, sneaky hockey stat there. I know. 7-0 and in Game 7s, too. I love the symmetry of both of those stats. But the ironic part is I think those seven wins have been for like four franchises. So he was the Golden Knights head coach a couple years ago. They've only been a franchise for like two or three years or four years or whatever. So like they just, I think it's maybe six years. But so he's, He's been all over the place and the hockey coaches are just they're thrown around like tissues. Whoever lands where they win a Stanley Cup. It's not like the Scotty Bowman days of the Detroit Red Wings where that stuff actually matters. I couldn't tell you who the Bruins head coach was this year and they broke every regular season record imaginable. That is a very interesting point. Like name a sport you know, of the major sports where you could name the fewest like fewer head coaches than you could in the NHL. Like the average fan. I think you could find anybody. Like I could probably go to my wife, maybe, and say, name me an NBA coach, name me an NFL coach, name me a major league manager. She could possibly name each of those. Zero uh, percent chance that she would ever. I don't know. If, I mean, who's Scotty DeBoer? That, there you go. That's probably the only fucking hockey coach's name I know. Peter DeBoer. See, I don't even Bowman. know his name. See, but <laughs> I don't. I already forgot it. Exactly. That was my point. I found out who he was today when I found out this stat after they won last night and beat the Kraken. So I didn't even know that Peter DeBoer was an actual person. It almost sounds like it's not real. But hey, you know what? Undefeated in Game 7s, and they are in their conference final. The glorious trumpets will let you know that it is time for Coach's Pick of the Week. Speaking of Canada, the last time we convened, he picked the old Edmonton Oilers to win in Game 1 over those pesky Golden Knights of Las Vegas. And wouldn't you know it, he's on a four-game losing streak now at 2-5. and five. So, Coach, back from the beach, rested, race talk all under the belt now. Please, please bless us with hopefully another hockey picketh of the week. <clears throat> hear ye, hear ye. Loyal listeners of the Iceman and Coach Sports Show, gambling degenerates, and any Canadians that are still remaining. 
I implore you to turn your attention to the opening round of the Eastern Conference Finals in the NHL. And I'm going to throw a little curveball in here this week. I'm going to take the team formerly known as the Hartford Whalers, recently known as the Carolina Panthers, officially known as the Carolina Hurricanes over the Florida Panthers in game one, just game one of the Eastern Conference Finals. So Carolina over Florida. In game one of the Eastern Conference Finals, they are a slight favorite, it looks like, in Vegas. Uh, so, Iceman, give me the hurricane. The Carolina Hurra Panthers over the Florida Panthers of South Beach. Coach, it's good to have you back. Let's hope you go two and six. So let it be written. So let it be done. And per usual, it is a fast ending of the show. We have bumped up to the end of the show, my man. It is good to have you back. Do you have any parting thoughts for our lawyer listeners and viewers? Again, great to be back as always. Um, I have a feeling that uh, next week I'm going to have to make amends with the the great country to the north. But nonetheless, it's been a pleasure as always. And thank you all for listening and tuning in. Please reach out, give your thoughts, uh, throw all the shade you want this way. I love it. It it really, it's exciting and fun for me and fun for Iceman, I know too. So uh, let us hear it, Uh, buddy. It's been fun as always. And I already am looking forward to next week. As am I. And as far as the hate is concerned, don't forget to call or text the show, area code 703-718-6314. Leave us a little message. Let us know how full of shit you actually think that we are. We do actually love the the interaction, whether it's positive or negative. So I know we get a lot of it on YouTube and it's a lot of fun because I get told a lot that I have the stupidest opinions. And you know what? That means we're making waves. They hate us because they ain't us, my man. So please call or text and leave us a little bit of a number. If you want to find us on social media, Twitter and Instagram at Iceman and Coach is the way to do that. If you want that amazing hat that Coach has on on YouTube, please check out MattyIceMedia.com and go to our merch section. You can find some trucker hats with the old INC logo. For those of you listening in the podcasting space, please tune into the YouTube channel and subscribe. The notes for that will be in the show notes or the link for that will be in the show notes. And as always, please support the Pub Time podcast through their rhythm and bruise section, talking about all these different musical acts and so forth. You guys are always having a good time. And they just posted an episode with Pain Productions talking about sitcom moms, a little five for five action. So that was a a lot of fun. Coach, it's always a pleasure to see you. Everybody in Ice Time Nation, thank you for tuning in this week. I hope this finds you well. I hope this finds you safe. And we will see you next week. This is Iceman and Coach. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on the Iceman and Coach Sports Show are those of Matt Freights, Brad Powell, and their guests, and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. The Iceman and Coach Sports Show is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and Brad Powell and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.